chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We've been uh, looking at the different parables of Jesus over the last month and I have a little bit of a different one we're going to look at today. If you're using the Bible in the pew, this is on page 869. And so to help you kind of find that, uh, but turn or click to that. And while you're turning there, I'm just going to pray and ask God that he would speak to us this morning. So let's pray together. God, we are so grateful that we can be in your midst, in your presence together. We know that you're always with us, that you never leave us, but to be able to be with you together is so special. To worship you, to hear from you, to open up your word together, to know that you're speaking. I pray, God, that you would just, um, that you would connect to our hearts this morning, that you would let us hear from you, that you would be the one speaking, God, that you would, uh, Spirit, you would move in our lives, whether we're sitting in these pews or sitting at home watching, and you would let us hear exactly what we need to hear from your word. Make us aware of your love. Make us aware of your grace and mercy and how we need to be extending that to others. I'm just really getting just so grateful for this community, so grateful for this church family. And I pray that you would get, let us hear the things we need to hear now this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, so like I said, we've been looking at the parables of Jesus over the last month, some of them. And these stories, the parables, are Jesus uh, telling about the kingdom life that he gives, what it's like, and sharing what it's like in story form. All of the different parables are Jesus giving us a glimpse of this kingdom life that he is inviting people into. And we've talked about this kingdom life in different ways through the parables. We've talked about the fact that we learn about life in the kingdom through the word of God, that we need to be hearing the word of God to understand what the kingdom is life. We've seen stories that talk about this life with Jesus and his kingdom is worth any other life we could be pursuing, that nothing else compares to it. We've seen stories that talk about God's grace and mercy, that the kingdom life is based in grace and mercy. And so because of that, we can be people of forgiveness. And then we've also looked at stories that talk about the fact that we're not alone, that we can call out to God in prayer about anything and at any time. Today's story that we're going to look at and how it talks about kingdom life is a little bit different and goes in a little bit different direction. But before I get to that story, I want to tell a different story. And so my wife, Jeanette, uh, is a substitute teacher for CPS, uh, specifically at McCutcheon Junior uh, Elementary School, which is just a few blocks, four or five blocks from our house. And about a month ago, she was walking back from work while it was snowing. Now, if any of you know my wife, uh, those who know her knows that she hates the cold with a passion, and so the fact that she was walking in the snow makes this already a miserable walk. But when she got up to one of the corners near our house, she slipped on some ice, fell on her back, and hit the back of her head. And so while she's laying there, and you know this happens, and trying to collect herself, a guy pulls up in his car, rolls down the window, <laughs> and then drives off. He just pulled up, didn't say anything, laughed at her, and then kept going. Now she gets home and she tells me what happens, and if I'm being super, super honest, I would have to say that all of my concern for her and for what happened to her was only slightly higher than my desire to go find the guy who didn't help her when this happened, just being honest. Because who does that? 
who sees somebody fall like that and doesn't help. And taking it even worse, who sees somebody like that and just laughs and keeps on going. Jesus tells the story in Luke 10. It says in verse 30, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half for dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, this is a fictitious story, but its setting is very real. Going from Jerusalem to Jericho would have been down a road through this gorge. And so you can't even really see the road, but kind of going through here, it would be in a dark place, but a dangerous place, definitely a place where robbers could be. And the walk is here. We don't have any identifying details for the person who's walking this road. It just says, Jesus just says, a man go, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. We don't know his ethnicity. We don't know his economic status. We don't know his religious involvement. We don't know if he's made good choices in life or bad choices in life. We have nothing like that. It's just a dude was walking down the road. The two that came by him, who came along and saw him, these weren't just anyone from the faith community. These were leaders of the faith community. These were the ones who knew the scriptures and how the scriptures directed people to live. These were people who at some point would have read passages like Deuteronomy 15, which says, For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Would have read passages like Leviticus 19, which says, Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. Would have known passages like Isaiah 1, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. But even though they knew the law, even though they were leaders within the faith community, even though they were supposed to be the religious examples, they saw him and they kept going. I mean, especially the Leviticus passage, do nothing, do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. What endangers your neighbor's life but leaving them there half dead? But regardless, they saw him and they kept going. No, there's no pointing laugh there, but they didn't help. They saw the person on the side of the road and they kept going. In the first part of the story, the text says, Jesus says that the robbers departed, leaving him half dead. And so really, when you think about it, the two religious leaders, the priest and the Levite, they did the same thing. The religious leaders acted no better or differently than the robbers. They departed and left him for dead. It says in verse 33, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, 
he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, which would have been like literally taking medicine and caring for this guy. He sent him on his own animal and so walked while this, his animal was carrying him and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, basically two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper saying, please take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now Jesus is telling this story to a Jewish audience and the Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other. They, these two did not mix. They did not associate with one another. They had no dealings with one another. In fact, in another part of the Gospels, in John 4, when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, he specifically says, the, the, the writer specifically says, for Jews and Samaritans have no dealings with one another. So somebody hearing this story for the first time, they would have heard about the two, first two guys and they probably would be thinking, oh, Jesus is, yeah, he's talking about these two religious leaders. Yeah, but those are like the high, high leaders and they're probably really caring for their religious purity and maybe they're being kind of snobbish. The next guy is going to be the home guy. The next guy is going to be the neighborhood rabbi. The neighborhood rabbi who knows this area, who knows that guy is going to stop. But it's not the person they thought who would have been next. It was the last person they would have thought. It was the last person they would have considered. It was their enemy who stopped to help the guy, not one of their own. It was somebody they would never associate with who helped the guy, not one of their own. It was somebody that they typically avoid who didn't avoid the man who was needing her help. And so put it into modern church world and how sometimes church people think. But a Muslim came by and helped the man. But an atheist came by and helped the man. But a gay guy came by and helped the man. But a Democrat came by and help the man. Or a Republican came by and helped the man, depending on your angle. But a liberal came by. But somebody who's made horrible life choices came by and helped the man. But uh, fill in the blank with whom you don't think it's right to associate with those people. And that's the person who stopped and helped, were the religious leaders kept walking by. Think about the person you would never put in the blank. And that's the one who did what the religious leaders didn't do. When the Samaritan saw the man, it says he had compassion upon him. He had compassion upon him. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's a little funny, but the literal kind of wording thought here would have been he was moved in his bowels. A little funny, right? Now, regardless if you are 7 or 70, we have all done the gotta-go dance at some point trying to get someplace. Yeah, if something, if something is happening inside of you and if you do not act on things, you are going to get really embarrassed really quick. Jews regarded, though, the bowels as the seat of their emotions, specifically their tender emotions, kindness, piety, and love. 
And so the bowels for them were what we mean by the heart, which completely changes a lot of love songs and poems. And to say to somebody, you moved me, means a completely different thing if we're talking about their language. But what is he saying when we would say, I was so moved in my heart? That's the language that's happening here. The Samaritan was affected deeply inside by what he saw, moved so deeply that he had to respond. He had to do something. And that's compassion. Scholar Daryl Bach says, says, compassion is that which causes us to identify with another situation such that we are prepared to act for his or her behalf. It is having the sensitivity to see a need and act to meet it. When we see this word compassion in the New Testament, it actually happens 12 different times. And 11 different times when we see the word compassion, it's Jesus acting on his compassion or talking about acting on his compassion. The only other time is somebody asking Jesus to have compassion upon them. Passages like Matthew 9, 36, when he, Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. He was moved for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 14, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. He felt for them and did something. Luke 15, when he arose and came to his father, and then the, the prodigal arose and came to his father. And, excuse me, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And so when we see what we see then in Jesus' story here is that the religious leaders were acting like the robbers and the Samaritan, the person that the religious leaders wouldn't associate with, they were acting like, he was acting like Jesus. He didn't keep the hurt at a distance. He didn't move away from the wounds. If anything, he went near the need. He went toward the wounds. He was willing to get his hands dirty. He had compassion on this need. He saw it and he stopped and helped. Where the religious leaders saw it, didn't stop and kept on going. The Samaritan was willing to use his time, his resources, and his energy to help this person. And that's compassion. Jesus concludes the story by asking the person he's talking to why he had to tell this story, this question. He says, which of these three do you think, the two religious leaders or the Samaritan, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer, the, the, the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And we cannot miss the fact that was probably really difficult for him to admit. The one lot like me is the one who showed him mercy. The one I probably wouldn't show mercy to is the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go then and do likewise. We again, we see Jesus talk of the man's anonymity. Doesn't say anything other than mentioning his need. He was among robbers. Which of, the, which of them proved to be a neighbor to the guy who fell among the neighbors? 
nothing else is mentioned other than his need. Neighbor in Jesus' story, who we see as neighbor in Jesus' story isn't about locale or race or gender or orientation or pocketbook or anything else. How does Jesus define neighbor? It's a biological issue. Does the person have a pulse? And if they do, that's your neighbor. That's the only criteria. Is the person, is it a person? Yes, that's your neighbor then. And there's nothing else. Daryl Bach again, he says, the outgrowth of that love for God is a response to our fellow humans. We are to love and be a neighbor to those who are part of our lives. Neighborliness is not found in a racial bond, nationality, color, gender, proximity, or by living in a certain neighborhood. We become a neighbor by responding sensitively to the needs of others. And so what does this story tell us about kingdom life, about being a kingdom person, about living the life Jesus has given us? That the kingdom life Jesus gives to people is a life defined by compassion. The kingdom life that Jesus gives to people is a life defined by compassion. Not a every once in a while, not a in certain circumstances, not in this moment or that moment or with this person or with that person. Compassion defines us as kingdom people. Kingdom life is life defined by seeing, stopping, and helping. Kingdom people never see, point, and laugh and keep going. Now, you know why Jesus had to tell this story in the first place? Why would he need to tell this story? Because somebody was trying to figure out what, who they did and didn't have to be a neighbor to. Somebody was trying to process, okay, well, how far do I have to take that? And when do I not have to do it? I mean, the section right before the story says this, verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. Now, not lawyer like what we would think, pass the bar exam and all that stuff. We're talking Old Testament law here. This is somebody who was an expert in the Old Testament teachings, who knew the law and what it meant for them to live. They knew this perfectly. And so this person's wanting to put Jesus to the test. Does he understand what God calls us, the what God calls us to live? Does he understand the way that God calls us to live? in his law. And so a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do that and you'll live. Now then, this is an expert in Jewish Old Testament law asking the question. And when Jesus says, well, what does the law say for your question? They go back to two central passages within the law. Deuteronomy 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And Leviticus 19:18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The central focal point of both these passages 
is a total allegiance and devotion to God. It isn't about earning anything. It's about living a certain way. Leviticus 19 is, for those who are being holy as I am holy, for those who identify with me, this is how they live. And one of the central verses in that chapter is, love your neighbor as yourself. The point isn't that we work for eternal life by loving God and loving people, that we earn it by being a better person. No, the point is that our allegiance and devotion to God is seen and proven through how we love God and love people. I make Jesus my center, my everything, and that guides how I live. It isn't about an institution. It's not about checklists. It's about the relationship, covenant relationship we have with him. When that covenant is real, when I am one with him, you're going to see it in how I love God and how I love my neighbor. And so Jesus, you've, you've gone to the exact two passages you should go to, he tells this lawyer. Well, then it says in verse 29, the religious guy asked, but the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, not make himself look stupid by just getting played by Jesus, he says to him, and who is my neighbor? Who is the one that is my neighbor that I have to do this toward? And who is the one not my neighbor that I have to do this toward? How far do I have to take this, Jesus? And in reality, his question is a lot of our questions. To what extent do I have to show compassion? How long do I have to put up with this person? Who is the person I don't have to act this way toward? And who is the person I do have to act this way toward? And here's the bottom line on that question. Kingdom people don't ask that question. Kingdom people never think that way. Because when you're a kingdom person, anyone you interact with is a person who should hear and experience the love of God. You have not met anyone that God doesn't love. You have not met anyone that God doesn't care about. You have not met anyone that God doesn't want you to be a neighbor to. Kingdom people don't filter some people out. Kingdom people don't have selective compassion. Kingdom people don't help only when it's easy and convenient. Kingdom people don't keep other people's messiness at a distance. Kingdom people don't have the messiness to demand that the messiness get cleaned up first before they'll help. Kingdom people don't point and laugh. Kingdom people stop and help. Kingdom people have compassion toward those in need. Kingdom people don't pass by. And so what are the needs right in front of you? What are the, what are the needs that you experience or you interact with on a regular basis? What are the needs maybe in your building where you live? Maybe on your block within the neighborhood that you're a part of, within the community that you're a part of, in your city. Or maybe put it a different way. What have you been walking past on a regular basis and not stopping to help? 
Now, again, this isn't meant something to overwhelm us, and there are so many needs all throughout the world, and there are so many needs in our immediate circles of influence. There are so many needs in our city. There's so many needs in our country, in our world. It's, man, do I have to address all of these things? That's not what God is telling you. But what, what is right before you? What have you interacted with? And within that, what gifts do you have? What, what experiences do you have that somebody, that things you've gone through and things you have could be a help to others? The reality is, is that there's going to be some people you won't be able to help. You don't have the gifting, you don't have the resources, you don't have the skills, but at the very least, you can offer presence to say, you know what, I can't help with this very thing, but I can help you get the help that you need. And maybe that's the way. But at the very minimum, we have to be asking ourselves, do we stop or do we just keep on going? Because you might, I mean, I, the looks of disgust when I shared the story about Jeanette, and I appreciate those looks. Do we want God feeling that way about us? With the number of times we pass needs? When the number of times we see needs, when the number of times people talk about their needs and we just kind of brush it off. You have to ask yourself, do you have compassion for people? When you see a need, what sparks in your heart? Is it apathy or is it empathy? And if it's apathy, you have to dig down deep and ask yourself, why? I remember when I was a youth pastor, we were in the south suburbs, really not, not too far from here, and we would bring our students into the city quite often, and we brought our junior hires into the city one time, and I don't totally remember where we were, where we were at, probably somewhere between here and downtown or whatever, and um, we were walking around with a bunch of them, and I was walking uh, with this one guy, and of course, you know, we're in the city, and so at some point we walked by a couple homeless people, and this junior high kid, he just goes, oh gosh, they should just get a job. And I'm, you know, he's 12, he's a little junior high punk, and I know this kid, I say that very endearingly, he's a junior high punk, and I, that's a term of endearment when you're a junior high youth pastor. And so it's like, I know that he maybe, is he getting this from home, or is whatever, so I said, well, you know what, man, that's kind of an interesting statement. Your dad has a company, do you think he would hire that guy? I mean, do you, can, you get, can you give him the website for your dad's company? Do you think that that would work? Well, no, no, my, he wouldn't hire that guy. Well, why? Well, I mean, look at him. Look at him. He probably, I go, I, I, how do you know? You don't know anything about that guy. You're making a lot of assumptions about that guy, and that actually says a lot more about you than it does about him. And if somebody like you wouldn't give that guy a job, then does just saying get a job really help anything? Do you think it's that easy for him just to go and find something? That guy, he didn't have a whole lot to say the rest of the day. But how often do we have that same type of just flippant comments about people and their situations? And yes, homelessness is a huge need, but even beyond that, when we hear about the circumstances of people economically, we hear about different people's situations, the gender things that they have to deal with, race issues, whatever it might be, do we 
listen to people or do we just write it off? Because the church of recent years has a really good habit of coming up with these buzzwords that we can just apply to a situation rather than trying to understand a situation. And so we can find these boogeyman words like social justice, CRT, this and that, woke, and all these different things rather than going, what's going on there? Because you know what a kingdom person does? A kingdom person thinks like Jesus and goes, what is the need? How do I understand it? How can I stop and help? It's modern politics and cultural values that says, well, they should do this, or what about that, or they're not trying, and all these different things, and making excuses for doing nothing rather than being a kingdom person and at least trying to do something. And so when you see people in a plight, when you see people hurting, when you see people in a situation that just seems really, really hard, or they're communicating it's really hard, and they need help, do you come alongside with an attitude of wanting to understand, stop and help? Or do we stop, see it, come up with some type of excuse of why we don't have to help and keep going? Because that's the equivalence of pointing and laughing. Why do you not have compassion? And maybe the reason why is because you see all the different labels Jesus didn't mention rather than just the need. They're this type of a person. They've done these type of a things. They believe this type of a stuff, whatever it might be. But that's not what Jesus pointed out about the guy. He just pointed out the person was in need. And so maybe the reason why we help less and talk more is we're focused on the wrong thing. And here's the last thing to think about as far as showing compassion. Do you want the person to get help? Do you want the person to find healing and help and hope and opportunities? Or do you want them to just leave them along the side of the road? There's a, we're going to do a song in a little bit about the, the idea of the same God, that the God that we see in the Old Testament stories is the God that's with us right now. And this God of Jonah is our God as well. And the thing about Jonah's story is if you look at Jonah chapter 1, God tells Jonah to go to the Ninevites and tell them to repent and find life with God. Well, the equivalent of God telling Jonah to go to the Ninevites would be, God, Jonah, go to ISIS and tell them to repent of how they're living and trust in me. The Ninevites were a brutal people. They, were, they, were, it was the, they were, struck the fear into people's lives. And why would I go to them? And so Jonah ran. He didn't go to them at first. So he finally, the whole fish thing, he comes out, he goes to them, he offers them a message, and they repent. Then in Jonah chapter 4, it says this. Jonah, to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Well, let me back, Jonah 3.10. When God saw that they did and how they turned from their evil ways, the Ninevites, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Chapter 4. To Jonah, this seemed really wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That, that, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, God, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah would rather die 
then see somebody who is on the wrong path find the right path. Jonah would rather get ticked off and die than see somebody who didn't experience the compassion of God experience it. A lot of times when we preach, maybe you've heard messages preached on Jonah 1 talking about Jonah ran because he was afraid. Jonah did not run because he was afraid. From his own lips, Jonah ran because he was a jerk. He didn't want people to experience the love of God. He didn't want people to experience God's compassion and grace and his slow to anger and his abounding love. And so we have to think about it as far as the Samaritan and as far as the people we interact with. Am I not helping because I'm just a jerk? Am I not helping? Am I not coming alongside because I don't want to admit that somebody different from me deserves God's compassion. Somebody who lives different from me and has come to different conclusions, they they don't deserve God's love. Yes, they do. Because if they don't, you don't. And who but for the grace of God goes all of us. And so you have to check your heart. Why do you not have compassion for the needs around us? Is it because I'm not willing to admit other people need to hear about the grace of God and experience the love of God? Is it because I'm being apathetic rather than empathetic? Am I realizing, am I thinking a little bit more pride in myself than humbly coming before people and being a servant that God's called us to? And I know some people, well, but but you don't want to associate with this person. You don't want to associate with that kind of... Listen, anytime you use association as an excuse not to help people, if you're familiar with the New Testament, you're acting more like a Pharisee than Jesus. Jesus was willing to associate with anyone. And it was only the staunch religious leaders who who pushed this idea of don't go there. You need to come alongside people and come alongside their need And enter, not stop, laugh, and keep going, but stop and help as you can so that people can experience the love and grace of the Lord. And so what before you, what happens this week that you need to stop for? Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the fact that you love us. We thank you for the fact that you show us and extend to us grace and mercy. God, I pray that you would Give us new eyes to see people as you see them. That we would go underneath things to humanity. That we would go underneath the cultural labels to humanity and people needing you the same way that we need you, Lord. May we not lose sight of the truth of the gospel that none of us deserve you, but you love us. That you grace, that none of us have earned anything. You have done all of the work that you are gracious toward us, you are merciful toward us, that your love abounds to us. God, let us appreciate that deeply so that we can feel and share it deeply with others. I pray, God, you would convict our hearts. I pray, God, that you would birth seeds of compassion within us and that we could help and be the hands and feet of Jesus where we can. It's in your name we pray, amen. Let's sing this last song together.